Today we wrap up our series on the God questions. And what we've been doing is um, we've been going over the six most common questions that people ask about faith. Um, and so today we get to the, uh, the sixth question. And what people tend to ask is what is heaven going to be like? Um, and so this is going to be a, a really good, and I hope this series has been good for you. Well, number one, maybe it's answered some questions that you've had. Um, but number two, hopefully you've picked up some things that you can share with others to help them with things that are going to be a common question about them. So like last we were dealing with, okay, uh, we hear the stories of creation, but I was taught about evolution. How do I, th- those two aren't the same. Um, and if, uh, uh, you ought to go back if you missed last week and, uh, and re-listen to um, uh, last week's talk to kind of find out, hey, here's some other things about evolution that you haven't heard of um, that really makes it uh, quite doubtful um, if you're a thinking person. So let's talk about heaven today. If you've ever been an athlete um, or you're raising a mini-athlete or you're married to an athlete, uh, every competitor has a day that's on his or her calendar that is, it matters more than all the other days. Uh, in professional football, that's the Super Bowl. In baseball, that's the World Series. Daryl, how are the Dodgers doing right now? Oh no, it's bad. That, that man bleeds uh, Dodger blue back there. So, um, man, ooh, I wish I would have known that. I wouldn't have asked that question. So. Usually we get good stuff out of him, um, or from the Dodgers. Uh, baseball, the World Series, soccer, the World Cup, hockey, the Stanley Cup. From opening day of training camp, uh, all throughout the season, every player is dreaming of, of making it to that triumphant event where all the sweat, prayers, and tears will finally pay off. For the Christian, that day will come on their first day in heaven. So everyone wants to know, what will heaven be like? Now, you'll be happy to know that the Bible is packed full of references to heaven as well as hell. And one of the most robust texts in heaven is found in the very final chapters of the Bible. So I want to encourage you, if you have a Bible with you, open to the book of Revelation, last book in the Bible, chapter 21 and 22. Now, we're going to read this and we're going to... um, Let God's Word speak to us about heaven. Now, when you're reading the book of Revelation, um, it's a a difficult book to interpret because so much of it is very um, uh, figurative. It's it's symbolic. And so we're going to read things that it's like, um, it could be that that the Apostle John is getting something and he's given us the best literal description that he can. It could also be that he's, it's, it's symbolic of other things, and it's hard to... How do you choose when, which sentence is symbolic and which sentence is uh, um, literal? Um, and so it's difficult. But, but these are the words that God has given to us, and they speak of heaven. So follow along as I read. This is Revelation 21, starting in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, 
and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also He said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And He said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexual immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like the most rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates and the gates... Twelve angels, and on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, and on the north three gates, and on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear jasper. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophrase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each of the gates made, a single, made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth um, will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never shut by day, and there will be no more night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter into it nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on the other side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, 
and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Now the first thing that you'll notice is that our present heaven and earth will pass away, um, being replaced by two new entities called the new heaven and the new earth. The second thing you'll notice is that the habitation of humans will primarily be in a single city called the New Jerusalem. Um, at the close of the millennium, which is a 1,000-year period at the end of, the, of life on planet Earth, the, the Lord God's going to bring the New Jerusalem to the New Earth, and this city will be nothing short of amazing. It's going to be opulent, built with precious metals and gems fit for the King of Kings. If, if royal cities of old were ornate, this city will surpass them all. Um, add to that the bonus that, that, that the New Jerusalem will be the house, well, it will house the throne of God itself. I'll, he comes and he says that, uh, that, that an angel comes to him and says, here, here's this rod, I want you to measure the city. And he measures it in Revelation 21.16, it says that it spans 12,000 stadia. Now, when you do the math and you understand what a stadia is, it's about 1,400 miles long and 1,400 miles wide and 1,400 miles high. Um, I like to envision this city of the New Jerusalem being uh, like a cube, although others would say it's more like a pyramid um, because three sides, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit makes sense to them. Um, but we just don't know for sure. But 1,400 miles wide, deep, and high. Uh, this city right, would cover the territory, the distance from Canada to Mexico, from the Appalachian Mountains to the far edge of the Mojave Desert. This is one city. It would be nearly 2 million square miles at its base which is 40 times the size of England, 10 times as large as France or Germany, and that's just the ground level. Uh, being as high as it is, even if it's a, a pyramid and it's built like a high-rise where every story gets 12 feet for each story, this, this city would have 600,000 stories in it. It would reach well into space. Billions of people can occupy this city. I mean, uh, we could fit the entire population of the earth in the state of Texas and have plenty of room still. So this city will have plenty of room um, for all of us. Billions of people can occupy this city, and every one of them could have several square miles of personal living space. I mean, we won't be crowded, but we will all be living near each other. The, the 12,000 stadia number, it, it might be figurative, it might be literal. But re, what Revelation is communicating to us is that this is one massive city where everyone will be close enough to find community and have enough ex space to experience privacy. Now this city has some unique geographic features. One of its great scenic wonders is the river of the water of life. In Revelation 22.1 it says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. The Lamb of God is Jesus, and He occupies the throne of God. And the river flows down the center of the great street. 
Uh, New Jerusalem is the center of human life. Water is essential for human life. And there will be an abundance of both water and life. Uh, Modern cities like San Antonio or or Spokane, Washington, um, they realize that people love to congregate uh, near water. So they've they've really invested in their their, uh, river walkways. Um, Water's just nice to be around. I love it. It's, it's likely that this river of life is going to have countless tributaries uh, with bustling river walk along, with, along its many banks. It's going to just be absolutely beautiful. Now, the city won't be flat because water flows downward from the throne, which means that God's throne will occupy the highest ground. Anyone wanting to visit God's thrones needs only follow the river upstream. Another stunning feature of the city is the tree of life. The, the tree stands on each side of the river. Uh, no living fauna compares to this tree. It's, it's been in existence since creation, and it bears fruit every month. It's, it's a source of food, and it's a source of healing. In chapter 22, verse 2, it says, Through the middle of the street of the city also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. God will use this tree to reconcile all factions who fought, warred, or engendered bitter feelings towards one another. You just think about uh, all the animosity that nations have had against one another since the history of man. And and God's going to bring an end to all of that. And he's going to not just end it, he's going to heal it. What a beautiful picture that is. Uh, we're going to be reconciled by means of this tree just as we were justified by the tree that became the cross of Christ. The tree of life is mentioned three times in Genesis and four times in the book of Revelation. Uh, according to Revelation 2.7, the tree is currently in the, the present heaven, but there's going to be a new heaven. And, and it is this tree that God intended for Adam and Eve to eat from and live forever for all eternity um, the prophet Ezekiel, in Ezekiel 47, 12, speaks about the tree. It says, And on the banks, on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither, nor their fruit fail, but they will bear fresh fruit every month because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit, their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. This is a passage on heaven. Now, some scholars believe that the tree of life is a collective reference. Um, are you familiar with the aspen tree? Uh, people marvel at the aspens because it's like all their leaves will start turning colors, the same color in the fall. But what we know about the aspen tree is it really is uh, several shoots of one large tree. Their roots are interconnected. It's, it's one living organism that some scholars may think that this tree of life will be like, like the aspen that you find in the Rockies. Um, and so I, I believe that, that that's what the tree of life will be also, which explains how it can grow on both sides of the river. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 11, we're talking about people who lived their life by faith and how they were longing for a country of their own. So, uh, and it's, again, a reference to heaven. So, so there may be countryside in heaven. Um, we'll have spacious outdoors there and the ecology of the country will be impressive just as is the architecture of the city. 
uh, Revelation 21.10, it says uh, that John was carried to a mountain, great and high. It says, he carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain. Not the mountain, a mountain. Which means that there will be more than one mountain on this new earth. Uh, Got anybody who loves skiing? Oh, I'm the only one. Snow skiing. Okay, good. Snow ski trip, me and Justin. You would be invited, but y'all don't want to go, so... Um, um, I can just see it. There, there'll be soaring peaks to appreciate and climb. Uh, I can imagine the slopes, the lakes, waterfalls, meadows attached to the mountains. Uh, there'll be plenty of opportunity to, there'll be plenty of recreational opportunities in the recreation of things. In, uh, in, chapter, in chapter 21, verse 1, He says, then I saw the new heaven and the new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. To ancient peoples, the ocean represented things that were cold, dark, and dangerous. When God originally created the seas, he pronounced them good. The curse had a devastating effect on all creation and thousands of microscopic organisms became harmful to animal and plant life. So as a countermeasure the sea needed to become salty. Uh, That that salt neutralizes these life-threatening bacteria and it prevents our oceans from becoming just a gigantic, toxic cesspool. In the new creation, all bacterium will be our friends. They'll be restored to their pre-fall state. It could be that Revelation's description of no more sea means that the oceans will become freshwater like lakes, and, and much calmer than they are now. Imagine a lake as large as the Pacific Ocean, which you can drink from and swim in at the same time. Our hearts, they just confirm the reality of heaven. When I first became a Christian, uh, I was started to enjoy a, a new kind of music for me. Uh, Growing up, I just wasn't listening to guitar-based music. And so when I became a Christian, a friend of mine had a guitar I wanted to play, and I got a guitar, and that made me appreciate guitar-type music. One of the bands that I just absolutely enjoyed was a band called U2. Y'all, y'all don't know, do you? And I got no response. Okay, a few of you are like, all right. Well, in, in my opinion, one of the most incredible musical albums that I've ever experienced was U2's the Joshua Tree. And in it, they have a song called, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. Well, as a young Christian, I just I was puzzled over this song. Because in the song, uh, they sing about things that it says like, it's like, it sounds like he's experiencing salvation. He's, he's tasted what God has got to, got to give. He's, he's had the Holy Spirit. And yet then he sings, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And that just puzzled me because I... I became a believer in Jesus at almost the age of 18, and it was just, it was absolutely life-changing for me. I mean, when, when, when it says in 1 John, he who has the Son has life, but he who does not have the Son does not have life, I was like, I could testify. I spent almost 18 years of my life living and breathing and laughing and doing things that look like life, but inside I was absolutely dead. 
I had found something amazing in Christ, and I couldn't understand how he could write a song. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Well, now I'm older. And absolutely, Christ has fulfilled the, the great hole in my life, but I still long for something more. C.S. Lewis, um, in his book, Mere Christianity, he says, you know, if you find yourself longing for something that doesn't exist, it, it's probably an indication that you, you weren't meant for that place. Look, ducks want water. There is such a thing as water. I want steak. There's such a thing as beef. It, it exists. But if you want something that isn't here to satisfy, it's an indication that you were meant for someplace else. And that is our truth. And I can say, even though I have Jesus and He has made me whole again, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Because what I really want is complete wholeness and healing that I'll find only in heaven. And I'm sure your heart tells you the same thing. Philosophers say this inner longing for something more is a subtle proof that we were made for something more. We never have felt we've, we, and never will feel fully satisfied and settled here because this world is only our temporary home. Now going back to the beginning of chapter 21, the new heaven and the new earth begin with this angelic proclamation. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. At that moment, the Lord will begin personally ministering to every inhabitant of His new creation. He says He will wipe away every tear-stained face as He empathizes with the traumas we've endured from our previous life on earth. Uh, once we've had that personal experience, here's verse, chapter, verse 4, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Imagine that moment. What a moment that'll be. Some believe that once God wipes away our tears, that we'll never cry again. I don't really see it that way. I mean, because tears are a significant part of the human experience, and we're still going to be humans. I, I don't cry often. But some of my, the most significant moments of life, like the birth my son, my children, weddings, um, uh, someday grandkids, like those will include, have included tears and will include tears. The, the no more crying reference in the verse above is grouped with no more death, mourning or pain. All of these are associated with negative experience. There's a difference between crying because of sorrow and shedding tears of joy. I love this promise. If you've dreamed of an extreme makeover, well, just get ready. It says we will receive resurrection bodies similar to Jesus' resurrection body during his 40, 40 days of post-resurrection appearances to his disciples. Um, I used to not get this promise of a new body, but at 45, I'm starting to get it. And every time I complain about a, a, an ache, to somebody older than me, they just, they just tell me, well, get ready. Like, like, we're just starting. I get it. Like, I'm starting to get it. Howard's over there. He knows. Yeah. Like, you know, we look at these little babies and we're like, oh, to have that energy. 
your new body's going to have that kind of energy where you're just not worn out. I hit my pillow every night, and you could ask my wife, there's just five minutes of moaning. Just, oh my gosh, I can't believe the day piled on like this. And it's like, and it's every day. That's not going to be the case. To have the energy to, to not have everything accumulate and to have to work so hard to get it off. To, uh, I think I'm going to have my hair back. Um, I, I just, I look, I hate the curse. My hair's going. Um, the, when Jesus appeared after his resurrection, the first person he appears to is a woman named Mary. And she did not recognize him until he calls her by name. Later that day, Jesus appears to two disciples on the road to Emmaus. On the road to Emmaus. They did not recognize him right away. But they figured out who he was when he said the blessing over their meal together that evening. And in Luke 24, 31, it says, and their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. Your resurrection body will be similar to your current body, but not identical. If you've ever been to a reunion and you see people from your past, it takes a while. It's like, oh, I didn't recognize you. You've, you've changed. Um, uh, it's going to take a bit for us to recognize one another, but we will recognize one another by who, who we are, not by what we look like. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 41 says, There is one glory of the sun, the other glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for stars differ from star and glory. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Like everything in heaven, your resurrection body will be far better than your current model. After the resurrection, Jesus ate like a normal human. But he also walked through a wall. That's kind of cool. That that may be within our future potential. Um, If you've dreamed of a new home, be encouraged. On his final night before his crucifixion, Jesus told his disciples in John 42, In my Father's house are many rooms. That that word for rooms is the Greek word mone. Uh, It can be translated mansions. Knowing how big the new Jerusalem is going to be, I think a mansion is well within the realm of of possibilities. He says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. It could be that part of your your personal ministry time will include a tour of your new home. uh, Your new place may not be attached to other people's homes. I don't really know. Um, but the Lord is creating it for you. We just got to move into a new home. We're, we're thoroughly enjoying it. But the process of moving, it's horrible. Like, if, if you've moved much in life, like, I don't know that there's a good way to do it. I think, I think we all get, if you're a part of the family of faith, you get one good move in your existence. Because when you move into that place, it's already been prepared for you. You're not having to figure out, okay... Where do I put this old hand-me-down thing from my great-grandma? Like, it doesn't match anything. What do I do with it? Nope, you don't have to deal with that. You don't have to lift it. It's prepared for you. You get one good move. 
I'm looking forward to that. Um, the Lord is creating perfect spaces for each of us based on his knowledge of our personal preferences. And when you see your new home, it'll be more perfectly suited to you than you can imagine. Now, if you're worried about being bored in heaven, don't be. Because um, he's making a new heaven and a new earth. But I, there's all these galaxies and stars and nebulas that I think we're going to have complete access to. Plenty of things to do. And then, um, in Revelation 22, verse 2, it's talking about this, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding fruit each month. That's an indication of time. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7, says that in the coming ages, um, speaking of future, that, that Jesus wants to show us the riches of His grace um, in the coming ages. Isaiah 66, 23 says, From new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come and worship before me. Another prophecy about worship in heaven. But there's an indication of time. I, think, I don't think time is going to cease. I think time is going to continue. In heaven, there will be food. Jesus told his disciples in Luke 22, starting in verse 29, and he says, And I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones and judge the 12 tribes. Uh, Revelation 2.7 says that we get to eat of the tree of life. Um, with a lack of pestilence and only cooperative weather patterns, I just imagine the fruits and vegetations that is just going to be... Uh, fantastic beyond anything we've experienced now people ask about animals in heaven isaiah 11 verses 6 through 8 says the wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion shall and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them the cow and the bear shall graze their young shall lie down together the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child shall put his hand in the adder's den. I mean, that's a lot of different variety of animals. And you can bet that if there's wolves and lambs, there will be dogs and cats and other pets too. Um, so, if you're wondering. Uh, if you've dreamed of becoming an angel in heaven, you won't. Humans don't become angels when we get to heaven. And in some sense, we may be superior to them. In 1 Corinthians 6, 3, it says, Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? Um, marriage. Jesus says in Matthew twenty two thirty, He says, For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. See, instead of being married to another person, we're all going to be married to the Lamb. We're going to be the bride of the Lamb, and He'll be our bridegroom. Marriage on earth is preparation for a close relationship with God one day. Nothing will take away from the rich relationships that you've had with your spouse and family members here on earth. After all, all sin and tarnish um, are going to be worn away there and so the perfect marriage you've always longed for will be had in your relationship with your Savior. Um, as a result of that relationship, all other relationships will be better than they are today. Um, if you've ever wondered whether you'll have a job in heaven, you need to remember work's a good thing. Uh, the only 
bad work is work that we don't like. Um, I could imagine that if I were to become incredibly wealthy and could just have a life lived out on a uh, beach somewhere, that eventually I'm going to get bored of suntanning, that I'm going to need something to do. I'm going to want a project. Uh, work is a good thing. In the Garden of Eden, before sin entered this world, God gave Adam work to do. In heaven, you'll be given significant assignments for meaningful tasks that'll keep you growing and enhance the lives of others. These assignments will be doled out based on your performance in this present life. C.S. Lewis was once talking to a, uh, an audience, and he's thinking about the future, what heaven would be like, and he says it's it is hardly possible to think too often or too deeply about the future glory of your neighbor. The load or weight or burden of my neighbor's glory is a load so heavy that only humility can carry it. And the backs of the proud will be broken. It's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which you would strongly be tempted to worship. We're not going to be perfect in heaven. Only God is perfect. The rest of us, though immortal, will remain finite and ever-progressing toward perfection. Only God is fully actualized. The rest of us will always have some potential yet to be achieved. Yet when heaven opens for us, we'll be set or reset at a level based on things that are judged important by God and not necessarily important by our world. This, this reset will make us leaps and bounds more mature and complete than we could have ever hoped to become in this life. In the book of Hebrews, he describes this great cloud of witnesses, men and women of God, who testify that by faith, our lives on earth can be extraordinary. Um, in Hebrews 11, starting in verse 13, it says of this great cloud of witnesses, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. The new heaven and the new earth is a better country by far. A better city by far. You and I will be better people by far. We'll be better off there by far. This place is not a concept. It's not ethereal. It's real. Heaven is real. And real people, all those who express their trust in Christ will one day be there. Throughout history, those who've understood this fantastic future have longed for it with the anticipation of a bride, the same anticipation that a bride has for her wedding day or a groom awaiting for his wedding day. This is what God tells us is to come. I want to invite my musicians to come up. and uh, 
go ahead and just begin to play underneath me. But this, this place called heaven, Jesus says in the book of John, as he's telling his disciples, right before his crucifixion, he's telling them, In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. And you know how to get there. Thomas. People know him as Doubting Thomas. He really was one. He longed to be near Jesus. He speaks up first. He says, Lord, how do we, how, how do we know how to get there? We're not even sure where you're going. And Jesus' answer to him was, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. See, I've told you this morning about heaven. There's another eternal reality that we didn't talk about today. The Bible says that everyone who enters into this new Jerusalem, this heaven, they're only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Have you placed your faith and trust in God's promises, in His Son Jesus? Have you given Jesus your life? Because that's how your name gets written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's how you begin to follow Jesus as He leads to heaven. I just want to give you that opportunity today. I met Jesus right before I was turning 18 in a church not too dissimilar to this. And the pastor would get up and he would invite people to come and I'd sit there in my pew going, I just don't know about that. That seems weird. But there was one Sunday I was determined I was not going to leave without God in my life. I came forward and I spoke to the pastor because I was just certain people are meeting God. A lot of you, you've already met him. You gave him your life. Some of you, that may be something you need to do. And if this promise of heaven draws you to a God who loves you, sent his son Jesus to pay the penalty of your sin so that you can be forgiven, you could come and meet him today the same way I did. Father God, I pray for all your people now. God, I pray that Hearts can be encouraged that in the midst of the difficulties that that everybody endures here on earth, um, God, that they can be encouraged that that is not, um, that's not what you intended. But Father, that as a result of sin, you broke the world so that we would not get comfortable in a place without you. And as we experience difficulties, as we look and we hear reports of tragedies and, and awful things go on, Father, we, our hearts just long for something to be made right, for those things to pass. And you promise that that's what you're working towards. So God, I pray for your people that they'll be encouraged this morning, that it would... Creating them a longing for what's to come, not 
seeking to get comfortable with what is now. That we can all remember this is not our home. This is not what we were intended for. That we are intended for something much more and something much better. And God, I do pray also today for anyone here today who has yet to give you their life. They, they own all of it. They own every decision, every choice, every consequence. They also own every sin. And the weight of that is more than anyone can really carry. And certainly we cannot stand before a perfect and holy God in our sin. God, I pray that you would speak to them the way you spoke to me. Inviting them to come, to give their life to your son Jesus and be forgiven. To trust in what he did for them on the cross. To let you begin to restore and redeem all that is broken in our lives. So, Father God, here in these next moments, meet with us. Minister to us as only you can. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.